You know, the title of my message this morning is A New Beginning. It's not as much a New Year's message as you might think when you hear the title. It's a new beginning. It's a, it's a new challenge for us as individuals, corporately as a church, to take time to reevaluate, you know, who we are. What is it we believe? And how do we respond to a, in accordance to what we say we believe? You know, are we truly a people on a mission that God has called us to, to spread the good news of the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, and more than anything else, to live our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. That's why we were created. It's awfully easy to get sucked into the things of the world. It's been easy even in this past year to, to for those of us that really, I don't want to say rely in a bad way, but it, church and gathering together is such an important part of our relationship with the Lord. Fellowship is designed by Him. The need for fellowship is designed by Him. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Boy, there is a lot of people that I miss seeing from this body. And it's no fault of their own. I understand that. But we need one another. It's always a challenge. And as the new year comes, what things can we address? What things can we reassess? What things can we maybe do differently as we evaluate our own lives? Every one of us. That's what I'm really going to be talking about when I talk today about a new beginning. And as I said online, um, if you saw the, the, the announcement of the title, um, this is going to be the first of a series on the book of Deuteronomy. I know that's probably everybody's favorite book that's in here. So you're all probably very familiar with Deuteronomy. But bear with me. And yes, that was a little sarcastic. Most of us don't always spend a lot of time in the books of the law. But I think as we look into Deuteronomy today, I think we'll begin to see how significant it is and how applicable it is to our own lives. I want to start with just one scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8. It kind of sets the stage uh, historically where things were at when Deuteronomy was written. It says, See, I have given you this land. This is God speaking through Moses. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. might seem a little strange to go to an Old Testament book like Deuteronomy to talk about new beginnings. So I want to give us a little background, a little context about the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy records the words of Moses in the last days as Israel is camped on the east side of the Jordan River. And just across the Jordan River is the Promised Land, a place of new beginnings. I'll get into this a little bit later, maybe even next week more, but when, I, when, we, when we get this picture, I think we could easily miss the significance of what's about to happen. We all know they've been marching around the desert for 40 years. We'll talk about that. But do you remind yourself and remember and realize that other than Joshua and Caleb and Moses, everyone else died that started on this journey. Everyone else that's in this camp of the Israelis, the Jewish people, none of them have known anything other than the desert. That's it. Anybody under 18 was alive at the time is still alive. But everybody else has been born in the desert, lived in a tent, 
marched in a circle for 40 years, or as long as they'd been alive. Only ones that would have been over 58 years old would have been Caleb and Joshua and Moses. That's it. So all of a sudden, their life is going to change completely. And the book of Deuteronomy is about Moses encouraging the people and preparing the people to experience and go on an adventure of something new that they've never experienced before. Deuteronomy itself is an amazing book in the sense that it has been it is it is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament. And if you remember when Jesus was taken into the wilderness and tempted by Satan himself, he quoted three scriptures in response to each temptation. He, And each one of those scriptures came from the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, in spite of what we may think, any preconceived ideas, is really a book about the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. We don't always think that way about Old Testament. We sometimes think about the Old Testament as being this harsh old book with nothing but laws and punishments throughout the book. And we think of the New Testament somehow as all about love and grace and mercy. We act like sometimes that we think that this is two different books written about two different gods. Well, we all know that's not true. There's only one God, and you know what? He has never changed. The God of love and mercy and grace and justice is the God of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we we read over and over to fear the Lord, but to fear the Lord as we love the Lord. In the New Testament, we are to love the Lord even as we fear Him. Fear Him as we love Him. So this isn't a new concept. And when we read that word fear, it it can have very strong, powerful meaning. It means to revere, to be in awe of. And in a sense, fear His righteousness, fear His holiness, even as we live and walk by grace as New Testament Christians. So as we're looking at Deuteronomy, we need to realize and understand, first of all, it is Old Testament. It is pre-New Covenant. But it also demonstrates for us that the Bible is totally united and it's truly about a God of love, mercy, and grace and eventually always pointing to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So today is, a, is going to be the first of a series of messages on Deuteronomy. Today my goal is basically threefold. Hopefully we'll get through all three points. One, who is the book for? And the two, the second point, What's the book about? And three, how does it apply to me? How does it speak to you and me? How does it speak to us today? So that's what we're going to look at. So first of all, who's the book for? I'm going to break it into three groups of people. The first group of people is leaders. This book is for leaders who are going to lead. This book is for moms and dads. It's for every parent. It's for every elder. It's for every pastor. And believe it or not, it should be for every politician. It's for anybody that will ever lead, which includes all of us in one sense or another. When I read in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, I want to give just a little bit of context because this is amazing. If you remember, Israel didn't have a king. God was to be their king, right? But then they decided they wanted to have a king so they could be like everybody else, all the other nations around him. Did you know that God prophesied that would happen? And this is where he prophesied it way back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. He knew and prophesied that they would cry out for a king. And here's what he says about when they get their king. When he takes the throne of the kingdom, 
He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord or reverence the Lord or fear the Lord as his God and follow carefully in all the words of the law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign long time over his kingdom in Israel. God has just prophesied that they are going to ask for a king and he's going to give him one. But this is what he says he wants for this king to do. Can you imagine the day the king is crowned, the first thing you're supposed to do? You know, we elect a president. And whenever this president is installed, usually one of the first things we start hearing about is, what are you going to do the first hundred days? What are your plans? What are your policies? What are you going to change these first hundred days? And it's sort of reasonable to think that that would be some of the questions. But that's not anywhere in your God goes. He says the first thing that king needs to do, he needs to get the book of Deuteronomy, and he needs to sit down and write the whole thing out on a scroll. And then he needs to keep it. And then he needs to read it over and over and over so that he understands what it means to be a leader and reverence God and to be in awe of God and also that they would remain humble, that they wouldn't think of themselves as better than anybody else that they're leading. Boy, there's two key ingredients of leadership that we could use a lot more of. Leaders that respect, reverence, and are in awe of God and the Word of God. And that they stay humble and realize that they are servants of God, serving His people. So I believe this book is definitely for leaders of all types. The second group of people is an interesting thing. It's for everybody. It's for all people. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, towards the end of the book, this is what it says. Moses commanded them at the end of every, every seven years. And at the end of seven years, it was a significant time. Debts were forgiven, etc. But at the end of every seven years, he says, this is what we're going to do. At the end of every seven years, in the year of canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, your God, in the place you will choose, Jerusalem. So in seven years, when everybody gathers together, here's what we're going to do. You shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble all the people, all the men, all the women, all the children, any aliens living in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know the law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Every seven years, as a reminder, they needed to stand and read the entire book of the law of Deuteronomy to all of the people. Now, Deuteronomy will take most of us somewhere between three and four hours to read if we would read it from beginning to end and not stop. For three to four hours every seven years, all the people of the nation were called to hear this. Why? To remind them, to remember who God is, what He has done, what He has been, the way He has been showing His faithfulness to His people in the past, in the present, and the promise that He will be faithful to His people in the future. It's all laid out in the book of Deuteronomy. It's God's will for the lives of his people. When we read the book of Deuteronomy, now remembering, we're not going to get hung up on Old Testament law. That's not what I'm saying. But what he's given us is a picture 
of what he wants for his people, how he wants us to live. He wants us to live by faith, and he wants us to live as if we have a mission, a calling. And we'll see having some faith or a faith alone doesn't cut it with what God's called us to do. Why are they supposed to read it? Just so we don't forget. It is easy to forget. Seven years is probably way too long. In our culture today, there's way more distractions. There's way more fighting for our attentions. There's way more that we can make idols of quite easily. We need to remember what God has called us to. And the last group of people, and you could go more, that he's supposed to that need to hear this are people who have forgotten the Lord. How do you forget the Lord? Well, if we look at a lot of the ways we live our lives at times, it seems like there is at least moments, maybe longer periods of times, that we forget the Lord. We forget who He is. We forget what He has done for us. You know, in the history of Israel, this book was used 800 years after Moses spoke these words and wrote these words down to start a complete revival in a nation. This book. You know, Israel didn't do so good at following all of God's rules. They messed up a lot. And a lot of times the reason they messed up so bad was because the kings abandoned God. The kings did not sit down and read this book and keep this book and do what it says continually. They had some unbelievably evil, evil kings. And obviously those evil kings would lead the nation astray. And one of the things that was very, very common when they had evil kings was idolatry and idol worship. Embracing the gods of the neighboring peoples, the Canaanites, the Amorites, whoever they were, they would embrace these things, bring them in, and people would turn from worshiping the one and only true God to worshiping all these other things. Again, remind ourselves, we may not build idols, but we sure worship a lot of other things. So one of the kings, one of the probably worst, if not the worst king, was a man named Manasseh. And about 800 years, about 750 years after it was written, he became king, and he reigned for actually 55 years. And this guy was evil. Not only did he build idols, and altars to worship false gods. He brought idols into the temple of God and had people worshiping idols in God's temple. As a matter of fact, there is one verse I want to read from Numbers or 2 Kings, excuse me, 21, verse 6. This is a partial description of this man. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery, divination. He consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking God to anger. He was an evil man. Fifty-five years, more than a complete generation, the book of the law was forgotten about. They didn't even know where to find it anymore. When he finally died, he had a son named Ammon who became king. There he says very little about him in the Bible, but it says this, he followed in the footsteps of his father. He followed in the ways of Manasseh. He only lived or reigned two years, thankfully. And then there was the next king, Josiah. Josiah is an interesting king for a number of reasons. One, he became king when he was eight years old. Eight years old. When he was 18 years old, one of the priests 
high priest, Hilkiah. He was sent to do another errand. They were doing something in the temple that I'm not going to get into. But he went into the temple, and lo and behold, in my mind, he saw this book covered with dust, hadn't been touched for 60 years, and he went over and picked up this book, and what he discovered was it was the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law. And he began to read it. And the first thing he did was he took it to Josiah, this young king. He's only 18 years old. And he takes it to the king and he starts reading it to the king and the king reads through this and immediately Josiah sees how his people and his father and his grandfather had turned away from God and he repents, tears his clothes, does the whole sackcloth and ashes thing and repents. And he gathers the people together just as they were commanded. He gathered the people together and he read the entire law, had the law read to the entire population of Israel, Jerusalem, all the men, women, and children that were there. And it started a revival, if you would, changed the nation for a generation. We might think of it as just an Old Old Testament book. But God used the book of Deuteronomy at one time to turn a whole nation around, turn the people around. I believe He can turn the nation around, He can turn the people around, and He may use a book like Deuteronomy to just do that in each one of our own lives. Second point, who's the book about? I just want to share a little bit of the story. Hopefully you're familiar with much of it because I can't go into detail on all of it. Some of it we should remember from when we went through Genesis a while back. But the first thing I want to talk about in this book is the way Moses. If you read this book of Deuteronomy, you'll see Moses is talking to the nation. And keep in your mind, they are now camped, ready to cross over. And we'll see in a little while, they were there for quite a while, a number of days, about 70 days. And these are the final instructions he's given to these people in reminding them and, and preparing them to go and do what they're called to do in a situation and environment they've never been in before. God has a mission for every one of us. He has a mission for us as individuals. He has a mission for us as a church. First and foremost, we are to live lives that bring glory and honor to Him. How are we doing with that one? And then He has a different mission for each one of us to, to make disciples wherever we go. How are we doing with that one? And then each one of us, God has given each one of us a unique calling using our own giftings and our own talents. Are we using them and are we utilizing them to, to fulfill the destiny that God has for us? I hope we're encouraged that we need to review where we're at in our own walk with the Lord and see how am I doing in all of those areas. The enemy in the world will draw us away from any of that as quickly as he can. And he's good at doing that. So he, Moses starts out he's reminding the people and he says, you know, remember, God promised this promised land to Abraham many, many generations ago. And ultimately, Jacob got to go in there. The third generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he didn't get to stay there because a famine came into the land and they all had to go to Egypt. And they were in Egypt for a long time. For a number of the early years, when Joseph was still alive, they prospered in Egypt. But before long, there was a change in the rulership of Egypt and they became slaves. And they remained in Egypt for 400 years. Remember, Moses reminding these people of this story. None of these people would have been alive when, when this all happened. 
And he's telling them that 400 years ago, and then finally the people cried out to God for deliverance, and God raised up Moses to deliver them, and Moses took them out of Egypt. And then they get to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, depending on what Bible you're reading, same place. And he makes a covenant with them. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Not because they deserved it, not because they earned it, because he chose them. Randomly, he chose them. And then he reminds them and reviews what happens next. I'm going to just read a couple of scriptures from chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 8. He says this, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. They'd received the Ten Commandments. There'd been some activities take place. And he says, It's time to go move on. And he says in verse 8, See, I have given you this land. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants after them. So they've come out of Egypt. They've been about Sinai or Mount Horeb, the Ten Commandments and all that took place there. And God says, okay, it's time to move on. We're going to go to the promised land. So what did they do? If you read the story, they prepared to travel. They appointed leaders, groups of leaders from all the different tribes of Israel to move. And they arrive at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea right on the southern border of the Promised Land. You may not remember the name of the place, but you'll remember what took place there. People wanted to send in spies, so they sent in 12 spies. And the spies went in, and they were there for 40 days, and they came back, and 10 of the spies had a negative report saying, oh my gosh, everything that God said about it being a land of milk and honey is true. It's an amazing land, but the giants in the land, there's no way, no way. Only Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, hey, everything God said is true. He's been faithful. He will give us the victory. He will give us the land. Let's go. And they didn't go. And it's interesting when you read the stories, it says the people were murmuring. And then it even says specifically, the people went to their tents and murmured. Anybody ever do that? I'm going to smile when you tell me and I'm going to go behind your back and I'm going to murmur like crazy. Only God heard them murmuring. He even heard them saying, you know what? They were plotting and planning. We're going to stone Moses and stone his brother Aaron. We're just going to go back to Egypt. And then God decided to intervene. And he says, you aren't going back to Egypt. And you aren't going into the promised land. Any of you that are alive over the age of fighting age, the army age, or the age of 18, any of you over that age, you're never going in to the promised land. You're going to walk around the wilderness until every single one of you are dead. Except for Caleb and Joseph and Moses would still be alive. And in Numbers 14, verse 23, is where God speaks these words. He says, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And they begin to wander around in the desert for 40 years. For an entire generation. They couldn't go to Egypt. They couldn't go to Canaan. They were stuck. Ever feel stuck? Don't know where to go. These people were stuck. They were a believing people going nowhere. These are the people that had seen and heard God do all these amazing miracles. These are the people alive at that time who would have seen the Red Sea parted. They would have experienced what took place in Egypt with all of the plagues. 
They were a believing people. They believed in God, but they were going nowhere. God was providing for them every day, but the mission of God was not going forward. What was the mission? Just a brief reminder. The people were called to go into the promised land, not just so they'd be blessed. Part of their mission was to go into the promised land as God's people and live totally different from all the pagan people in the nations around them. They were going in to stand out as God's people, bringing and representing the glory of God to the people around them. They didn't get to go and do that mission. For 38 years, they wandered in the desert. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14, it says, 38 years passed from the time that we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley, and by then the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. Finally, when the last one died, God tells Moses, okay, it's time to go forward. They're ready to cross the Jordan River. They're on the verge of entering into the promised land and all that God had promised for them. And they set up camp, and Moses speaks to him. And if you would go back to Deuteronomy 1.1, that's where we're at. He says in Deuteronomy 1.1, These are the words Moses spoke to all of Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. And then in verse 3, you'll see it gives a a date, so to speak. It says it's the first day of the 11th month. And I only mention that because to me it's a little bit significant because when we go to the book of Joshua, we also get a date. We get the date that they actually went in and crossed the river into the promised land. And if you look in Joshua 4.19, you don't have to do that now, it says on the 10th day of the first month, the 10th day of the first month. So we go from the first day of the 11th month to the 10th day of the second month, approximately 70 days. So they're sitting there ready to cross over. God says, we're going to do some serious teaching here. Moses, you need to remind people. You need to prepare people. You need to tell them the story so they're ready for what's coming. For about 70 days, this took place. It's taken 40 years And now he's preparing this next generation, this new generation. And if we look at the picture, the story, as a story, if God's people 40 years previously would have been obedient, responded to the call to a mission that he called them to, every one of these people he was talking to would have been born in the promised land. They wouldn't have been born in the desert. They wouldn't have been walking around in the desert for 38 years. From Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, where the promised land is, is an 11-day journey. It took him over 38 years to get there. Why? Because they did not obey God. They let fear, past experiences hold them back, and they did not get into the promised land. God is basically telling the people, I'm calling you, now is your opportunity. It's time to fulfill your destiny. And for me, and I hope for you and the church, 
we would be saying the same thing because God is always ready to lead us into our destiny. We need to respond to his call. We need to do what we are able to do as we are committed and submitted to the Holy Spirit to walk into our destiny, fulfilling the mission. He's encouraging here his people Israel to do that, the very moment of finding the destiny. And that's really the story of this book. People are about to go through a major life transition, if you would. It's for people on the threshold of something new, something different, a change. I hope for all of us we are never satisfied where we're at. God is always wanting to take us to that next thing that he has for us. He wants us to continue to walk by faith, grow in our faith, grow in our trust for him, to fulfill the calling on our lives, the mission that he's got for us. Really depressing to hear people say, I don't know what I'm called for. I don't know the specifics of your call, but I know you're called to bring God glory the way you live your life. For the world around us, just like Israel was called to go in and live as God's people amongst pagan nations. I know that we are called, just as he called the disciples, to go into all the world and preach. Make disciples. Our world may only be here in southwest Minnesota. Some of us may be called much further. But wherever it is we go, we're called to make disciples and to utilize your gifts and talents that he's given you. The generation that died in the desert believed there was a God. They believed in him. They'd experienced all these miracles, but they acted in unbelief. Now, that may seem like a contradiction. They believed, but they acted in unbelief. But do you remember, remember the man who brought his son to Jesus to get delivered from demons? First, he took him to the disciples, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And Jesus, they bring him to, to Jesus, and he's like, oh, you guys, so little faith. And he says, you know, with, with God, all things are possible. And the Father says to, Jesus says to the Father, do you have faith? Do you believe in the, and he cries out, all things are possible to them that believe. And his response is, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. We all face those situations. And as God leads us into new things and different things, we're going to face those situations. My belief in God and who he is, but at that moment I'm struggling with unbelief. Will he really? Can he really? Am I hearing him clearly? And then we got the devil whispering lies to us. We need to hear clearly and respond in obedience. They died in the desert. Warren Wiersbe, he's a teacher. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a Bible teacher. Uh, I'm going to quote him, a very simple quote. Unbelief is a waste of time. Unbelief is a waste of time. Because of unbelief, they wasted 38 years walking in a circle in the desert when it should have took them 11 days. For 38 years, the mission that God had called them to went nowhere. They weren't demonstrating God's glory, His favor to anyone. They're walking around in the desert. For 38 years, God had done so much for these people, and they basically did so little for him. How much could they have done? How did we become a people of faith, not only a people of faith, but a people with a mission? We all have one. We need to respond. How can we move forward? 
being that person? What does it take? What are some things we might have to do? Well, here's what I want to just throw out. Two things. How this can speak to us today, I believe. First, you have to break away from being defined by your past. You'll hear Pastor Bob, Pastor Casey, you'll hear me. We all talk about this. Our past should not determine our present or our future. These people, what was their past? They were living in the desert. They'd been born in the desert. They didn't know anything else. Imagine that. You've got a family and they were all born in the desert. You got married out in the desert. Your God has been faithful to you. He's been feeding you manna every day. Your clothes and your shoes didn't even wear out in 38 years. He's been doing all these things for you. And that's all you've known. Believe in Him. You're grateful for Him providing for you. And that's all well and good. But their whole life had been shaped by their parents' choices. I'm not saying our whole lives are shaped by our parents necessarily, but our whole lives can be shaped by our past if we let it. If we let it. We all have a past. Some are worse than others. But our past as a Christian should not define us. We're new creatures in Christ. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. We're not perfect. We're in process. But our past should not define us. I believe that is one of the reasons that Moses spent so much time on those last 60, 70 days reminding this people who were going into a new place about the past. And reminding them, that's not your past. Don't let it control you. Time to move forward. They were believers, but not on a mission. You know, and it, it's, it's really a sad thing when you think about it. If God gives us the grace to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, it is an amazing blessing. And His promises are for us and His provision for us. It's all amazing. But we're called to go on a mission. We're called to, to be His people. We're called to go forth. Be more than just saved. As if just saved is a bad thing. But there's more. There's so much more. So He told them about their past and we need to break away from our past. And then the second thing is overcome the fear of the future. Overcome the fear of your future. You know, when we're going into a new thing, it's not unnatural to be a little bit anxious, to be a little bit worried, maybe even be a little bit fearful. Now remember, these people, God's sending them in. These people have done nothing but live in a tent. Now he's saying, you're going to live in houses. Really? Okay, what's that going to be like? Oh, yeah, and you're going to plant crops and the harvests are going to be bountiful. They've never planted a crop in their life. They've never harvested anything but manna they picked up from God. And they're going into this new environment. Everything's going to be different. All of the day-to-day decisions that they're going to have to make are going to be so different. Moses isn't going to be there to tell them what to do. There's going to be no cloud of fire or cloud and pillar of smoke. It's just not going to be there. They're on their own. God leading them into a place they'd never been before and a life they'd never known. 
that's what ours should be like almost every day. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. Don't let the past control you, but don't let fear of what's coming control us either. As you move forward, you can break free. Free of the past. You can overcome fears. Here's what I think we see in Deuteronomy with with Moses speaking. What are the two things he seems to be talking about as you go through the book, as we go through the book, you'll see this over and over. But two things to help them overcome their past and overcome fear. He first talks about their calling. Their call. I think this is so significant for each one of us that we realize that God has called us to something. Whatever He's called us to, He's going to prepare us and give us the power to walk out that calling. I believe He's telling the people of Israel, there's a power here. I'm calling you to go from here to here. I'm going to give you the power to overcome your past. We will break those chains as we sang about this morning. You will be able to be free from your past. He spoke over and over about their calling. And the second thing we hear about over and over in this Old Testament book is love. The love of God. The love of the Father. It's the love of God that will empower you and me to overcome any fears of the future. You know, perfect love casts out fear. Amen? That's what the Scripture says. God's love is perfect. Does He love you? Does He love me? We believe that. We receive that and then live it out like it's really true. I believe it's no different for us. To break away from the past, to overcome anxieties and fears of the future, we need to understand our callings, the love of God. and We can go forward, moving forward. You know, I'm going to close with just an example of this. I think all of us are very familiar with the New Testament, with Jesus and His 12 disciples how he chose these 12 men and he spent so much time with them over a period of three years. They were his disciples. They believed him. They didn't understand everything, but they believed. Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. They believed. But up till even that last night at the Last Supper, what had those 12 disciples done to advance the kingdom of God? How involved had they been in the mission? to this point. But once God demonstrated the, the enormous, enormity of His love by going to the cross, dying for our sins, and being raised from the dead, demonstrating that love to the disciples, and then what did He do? He gave them their calling. He told them, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Go into all the world. Make disciples. And we know what the world said about the disciples. These 12 characters turned the world upside down. Once God demonstrated the fullness of His love and He gave them their mission, they were unstoppable. God demonstrated the fullness of His love to each one of us when He called us and by grace we are saved through faith. He loved you so much. Love me so much. He saved me. He's a good God. He has a plan and a destiny for our life. And He has given us a mission. Many of them, actually. But first, 
challenge each one of us. Are we living our lives in such a way that the world around us sees that we're different and God gets the glory? First mission. Then are we sharing the good news of the gospel message with people we come in contact with? Are we trying to make disciples by sharing the good news of the gospel? That's the second mission. And then your individual missions. Whatever God is calling you to individually, we all have one. We can, we can be world changers. 2021 doesn't have to be controlled by politics and COVID. Not in our lives. Not in your life. Not in the life of this church. Our lives are supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit as we surrender and submit to Him. We forget that. I forget that. We let the pressures of the world and all these things get us so worked up that I definitely have to step back and just say, God, I forgot. You are in control and you love me and you promise you're going to take care of me. When we do that, it's a lot easier to remember our mission. We truly recognize once again who God is and He has a plan for our lives. So we're going to continue to look in Deuteronomy for a few weeks. I encourage you to go ahead and start reading it. Um, you know, I, I told Cindy, I, I, I read a comment uh, from a guy, a pastor. I can't remember his name right now. Um, but I went through one of his teachings. And I remember one of the things he said was when he was in school, in seminary, one of his professors told him, when you read the book of Deuteronomy, sit down and read it beginning to end. He says, it changed my life and perspective. Because when you break it in pieces, you, you can't quite catch it. But he said, when I read it from beginning to end, I realized how it is a book about the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. It changed the way he thought. It really impacted me when I did that, to read it differently. That... This God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Yeah, there were differences. Thank goodness there's a different covenant that we live under. And we're not under the law for our salvation. But we see the God who is a God of mercy and love and grace. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we look into your word, that you would, first of all, I pray, God, you would help me to share what you put on my heart clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would stir in each one of us a fire. Help us to remember all the amazing things you've done in our lives individually. God, you gave us a grace to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Changed us forever. God, that you would give us the grace to, to walk out our calling, our mission. Lord, I pray that we as a church, the family of victory, God would embrace your calling, that we would be corporately on mission to advance the kingdom of God wherever you give us opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would continue by your Holy Spirit, Spirit to continue to draw us back to you. Draw us back to you. Forgive us when our eyes get on the world, on circumstances. Father, just continue to draw us back to Jesus, the victory of the cross. Pray you would continue to watch over us as a people. We pray for your your grace and mercy on this nation as we go.
go through these troubled times. We pray for your protection day to day. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us the grace to share the good news of the gospel of how much you love us and what you did for us so that others may know and have the certain hope of spending eternity with you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If I, I think I didn't even say it at the beginning, Happy New Year. Better than that, have a blessed New Year. <laughs>